Hey, so we are in our series on 1 John, Walking in the Light. Take your Bibles and turn. We'll be in our third message this morning. Last week, we talked about the importance of confessing our sin. I hope you gave that some thought. And I asked the question, who do you confess to? And I, I think that's a good thing to keep in front of us because uh, what the Bible indicates is that confessing to each other keeps things fresh, it keeps things real, it keeps things open so the Lord can work, and that should never get away from us. But uh, we said last week that we need to operate in the light as He, Jesus, is in the light, and we're going to talk some more about this this morning, because what you're going to find in 1 John is that John loops through themes and then comes back to them, right? And so... uh, We said last week, if we say we have no sin, we've made God a liar. And John is writing this, actually, not just that we can have confession of sin, but that we don't sin, right? As any good parent, he's going to hope his children do not sin. And, uh, but he also anticipates in this book, the question, okay, I'm glad you hope I don't sin, but what happens if I do? And we're going to take a look at a little bit of that this morning. Uh, But before we do that, let's pray, all right? Father, when we come to your word, we recognize there are things locked in your word that unless you open them, unless you illuminate them, unless you bring light to it, we won't see it. And we can be looking right at it. Lord, I I read through your word for 40 years and come upon places and went, where did that come from? And, And I know I've read it before. It just, you bring it out. Life circumstances change. And we're able to say, see things in ways that we never were before. And so, Lord, as a body, as we come this morning, as we are looking at First John, a lot of us um, have read it before, a lot of us have uh, gone through it before, but life and circumstances, COVID, all we're going through, uh, adds to the, the knowledge and the background of we can look at this book through different eyes. And so we seek you this morning again for what you do so well. Be among us, speak. Uh, Lord, may people hear you through the message, and we ask for this in your name. Amen. All right. Okay, there's a second question that tags on to this sin question as well, and that's, um, what do I do with the sense of sin within me? You ever just go, there's something wrong? Something's not, I'm not right. Something, something there's a twist. What's going on with me, right? You ever just take a time out on yourself? And sit down and try to think through. Why? How come I'm off? <laughs> that was good. Come on. Can't time that. That was awesome. What happened to you, James? I just went. No idea? One, two, three. Yeah, there we go. Wow, okay. It's magic. Ah! That was just great timing. Thank you, Lord. That was good. Okay, so anyways, where I was getting to on all this is there's two components to sin that we always wrestle with as people. The first one is uh, the principle of sin within me. The second one is the actual acts of sin. These are the things that I actually do to break... You, you don't do this, I'll do this, right? These are the things I actually do to break God's moral code and law. So we're going to look at both of these this morning. Let's, uh, the Bible lays it out this way. In Romans 3.23, it says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That, is, that takes away the I'm a good person argument. 
right? Uh, I, I'm good enough that I'll get in. Bible says nobody's good enough to get in because all of us have fallen short and sinned. And the question is, how in the world did we get into this predicament? Well, the Bible takes us all the way back to the beginning of creation. Adam and Eve in the garden, they ate what was forbidden and thus came under the penalty of death. But that wasn't a little thing. Most people treat the fall kind of like a blown tire. You know, okay, it's bad. We'll just change the flat and keep rolling down the road. It wasn't a flat tire. It was a blown engine. And it blew the engine not just for Adam and Eve, but all of mankind. It tells us through that act of disobedience, all men now come under the umbrella of sin and death. This mess we live in, this world that we live in, the ache and the sorrow that we live in comes from that one original act. And then Romans plays it out farther. It says in 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through that sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's a no out clause, right? We're all in that campaign together. Romans 5, 17 and 18, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. One trespass led to the condemnation for all men. This in theological circles is what we call original sin, right? It was the beginning sin that set everything in motion. But there's something uh, also that runs contrary in us when we want to do or, or wish to do the right thing. You ever wanted to do the right thing and then done the exact opposite of what you wanted to do? Right? I see some smiles already, even behind your mask. Okay, I got it. Paul, Paul nails this in Romans 7. Here's what he says. For I do not understand my own actions. You ever been there? Right? I do not understand, in other words, what the heck I'm doing. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that the law is good. And so now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. It's talking about the fallen nature in us. We have two natures. One is a fallen nature. And if we've been born again in Christ, then we have the new nature. And so these natures compete or they war against each other. Now, if we're left here at Romans 7, where I just keep doing the wrong things and it never gets any better, it's a pretty bleak picture. Because both the principle of sin and the acts of sin are in control. And by the way, Romans 1, uh, I'm sure you know that passage, but what Romans says, Roman 1 says is that whatever you start out controlling in the end ends up controlling you. So be careful what you play around with. Sin promises you feedback, but it has a nasty kickback. Uh, some of you old Harley riders, or some, if you can go back to the old days of the crank engine on the car, you would, re and this is an old illustration, but boy, if you didn't kick that thing just right it, on a Harley, it could kick back and bust your leg. And if you were cranking the old cars... Okay, I'm back on. I'm off. I'm on. Typical pastor. Okay, there we go. I'm on right now. I'm on. I'm on. 
Hang on here a second. All right, there we go. So sin has a nasty back kick. What I was saying of those old crank things is, boy, if you got it wrong, it would it could break your arm. Some of you grew up in that environment can remember those things, and that's why uh, the psalmist talks about the cords of sin entangle me. It's literally like getting wrapped up and entangled in rope, like if you're in water and then you can't get out of it. Very much like blackberry bushes in the Northwest. You ever walked into those and thought you could just make your way through, and then the farther you went, the more entangled you got? It, it, it's pic making that kind of picture. But John is writing, from a positive side, John is writing that they would not sin. Uh, if you look at 1 John, we're there now, we're starting in chapter 2, and we're moving along. He says this, my little children. He takes a very fatherly tone. Right? He's taking a very pastoral tone. My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. John is saying this. Keep yourself from getting entangled in that stuff because it will not help you. It's going to really mess you up. And sin has what I call this quality of it lures you and, and promises all these good things and sparkles and glitters till you do it. And then once you do it, it goes flat dead. Right? And, and you're stuck, and now you're in a terrible predicament. And like we said earlier, you can tell that John anticipates the question that is coming. Okay, cool. Thanks for that, John. But um, we're really not trying to sin. But if we do, what do we do when we sin? I mean, really sin, not imaginary sin or hypothetical sin, but real sin. And John points them points them and us straight to Jesus. Look at verses 1 and 2. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only our, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now you would recognize this word advocate. We are familiar with that word, but usually in a different context, because when we think of advocate, it's the word paraclete, right? The picture of a dove, we think of who? The Holy Spirit. And you can find that word used in the high priestly prayer of John in chapters 14 and 17, where uh, John, again, is talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, the spirit of truth will be given to us. But here he's using that for Jesus himself. In other words, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father advocating for us. He is now in what would be called a magisterial position. Uh, he's the official uh, kingdom court advocate for all things that pertain to the legalities of what are known as the court of heaven. And by the way, God is very good at law. Did you know that? So is the Lord Jesus. So is the Holy Spirit. And by the way, so is Satan. Satan is very good at the legalities of your sin situation and informing you of how you're disqualified. You ever notice that? And so when John points us to Jesus, he's pointing us to the resurrected Christ and saying he now holds this position of advocate for you and for me. As I said, Satan, the, the adversary, the accuser of the present, 
then takes on the role of prosecuting attorney in all things regarding our sin as failure. So Jesus then becomes, in a sense, our defense attorney. John calls him Jesus the righteous. Right? Kind of sounds like King Arthur's court. Jesus the righteous, step forth. Right? That kind of thing. But it's, a, it's the quality of who he is as a person. Jesus the righteous. And righteous he is. For he is, and he alone, has never sinned. That is where he's very, very different from us. All of us in this room, all of us watching this morning, have sinned. Jesus has never sinned. And we have to remember that there is nobody like Jesus. Never has been, never will be. The Bible's claim, John's here specifically, is that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, is the propitiation not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. In other words, what he did is so astounding and so incredible that it actually covers for the sin of the whole world. Now stop and think about that for a second. Today, as we sit here, as you sit here this morning, as you're watching this morning online, there are 7.9 billion people on this planet right now. Billion, not million, billion. 7.9. That means we're screaming towards 10 billion really quick. And it says that the sacrifice that Jesus offered on the cross covers the sin of all those people right now this very second. Now here's the problem. That does not mean that all will avail themselves of this gracious offer. It's there for the taking. Jesus says, whosoever will can come. But many won't come. Many will not respond. There are many who know about God's offer, and they're deliberately staying away from it, even in our community uh, today. But the offer stands. Any who would turn to him will be saved. Even better, any turn to him will gain him as their defense attorney. Now, we covered this word propitiation last week a little bit, but, uh, you know, and said that it's a protective covering. Very much uh, it means coming under him, coming, and that is in an authority sense. You were coming under him in terms of his authority. Very similar to if you're out in a field and you're caught in a rain or a hailstorm, what do you do? You run to a tree and get under it, right? Get protected. Same way when we run into the hail or the storm of life that our sin has created, we run to Jesus to get under him to get protected. Jesus is our propitiation. He covers us from the righteous wrath of the Father that is due because of our sins. The second aspect of this, though, is another term that you don't often hear much of. It's called expiation. All right, so we have propitiation, but we also have expiation. And what expiation means is that as a defense attorney, you've probably all watched Law and Order or you know, some of these shows that you know how the courtroom works, that as the defense attorney, Jesus can ask that the court records be expunged. And expunged means wiped clean. It's no longer on the record. That your record can be cleared. Uh, I know people who've had that happen for them. They have gone to the court, and due to the circumstances that have happened, uh, the record has been expunged. It's no longer there. Slate wiped clean. 
that our sins don't count against us anymore. This is the fabulous good news of the gospel, that our sins will not count against us anymore. Anybody grateful for that? Yes. Can we say amen to that? Absolutely. That's why Jesus is called the righteous by John. That's his title. As we said last week, the ransom of a life is costly. Who else promises to forgive all your sins? You know anybody in your life? There might be someone in your life who forgives a lot of your sins. You know anybody that forgive all of them? That's the difference between other people and Jesus. John had the same thing going in his day as we do in our day, and he's trying to course correct it with this church family. It's, uh, there's, there were all kinds of options outside of Jesus back then, just as there are today. Uh, people were changing even who, what Jesus said or what, who he claimed to be. Uh, people were changing the way that it worked. They wanted to make salvation work a different way. And John is calling them back to the narrative he first told them. The only advocate with the Father, what John is saying, that we have is the Lord Jesus Christ. Totally God, totally man who died in our place and now advocates for us before the Father. But there's another word. That, the other word that's used uh, to describe Jesus is found in Romans 8.34, and it says this. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. One of the most beautiful pictures in Scripture is that Jesus just isn't sitting in heaven twiddling his thumbs, bored out of his mind, hoping something will happen, and sitting there going, oh, I just wish somebody would accept me. That's not what's going on. What scripture says is that Jesus is interceding with the Father. Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit is also interceding us with the Father with words that go beyond groans. In other words, it's impassioned interceding. God, I beg you. Father, I beg you. Kind of interceding. Listen to those words. Advocating, interceding. It tells you about the kind of person Jesus is. It tells you the role he possesses in the kingdom of God. Uh, like we said, in John's day, what John was trying to counteract is there was a lot of designer religion in his day. They were making it up. And there's a lot of designer religion in our day as well. And John is saying, go back, go back to the original instructions we gave you. Do you remember when I pastored you? Do you remember when I coached you? What did I tell you? That's what he's taking him back to. Uh, he says, go back to the old way. I was in Jeremiah, and I'm reading through the Bible again. Many of you are doing that with me. I encourage you to do that. And uh, I'm in Jeremiah, and I ran across these verses where it says, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look. Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Jeremiah was desperately trying to get Israel to go back to the old ways, go back to the ways of Yahweh, go back to the way God had laid things out for them in the law and in Deuteronomy. And unfortunately, it says they would have none of it. But that means follow the ways that God has laid out. You know, the gospel song we sing, give me that old-time religion, right? The idea is give me Jesus again. Give me faith in him again. Let's, let's make it back for what it was. You know, we sing that's a modern song. I'm sorry, Lord, for the, the thing I've made it because it's all about you, right? Get back to focusing on Jesus again. 
And that's, that's why we stay in the word, and that's why we pray that it's not just Sunday show up time, but we've been doing it all week, and it's Sunday gather time, right? It's the corporate bringing together of all that was sown during the week. John is saying, look to Jesus. Don't, and by the way, don't look at the church. Look at the reason for the church. It is Jesus and Jesus alone, and only he can forgive men's sins. He made this abundantly clear in his own statement when he said this. We sang it this morning in the first song we sang. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And by the way, did you notice which gospel that came from? That's right, John. John knew how to stay close to Jesus' heart. John is described as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And John's saying, hey, follow my lead. Very similar to the words Paul has said. We've run into him many times with the Apostle Paul. Follow me as I follow Christ. John is saying the same things here. And for all this talk of God, you don't get close to him unless you come through or by Jesus. So let me ask you this morning, have you? Have you come under his protection? Have you come under his authority? Have you sought his forgiveness? Have you cried out to him for mercy and to not be judged for your sins as they deserve? Well, interesting point on that one. The older you get, the more you realize what those sins deserve. Right? Have you quit your own efforts to reach God and let God reach out to you? To let God do for you what you can't do for yourself. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Let's, let's stop for a moment. Let's go to the Lord with this. I'm going to read some sentences in a prayer, but see if this resonates with you here online. Father in heaven, there may be someone here this morning, either sitting in the auditorium or watching online, that finds themselves on the outside looking in. They've been weighing your offer and the cost that will go with it. They want to step in, but they're not really sure how to. And as, have, as we have laid out very clearly for them this morning, that Jesus is the way in and to your heart, to your forgiveness and mercy. It's through your son Jesus who paid the ultimate price tag for their sin. Father God, it cost him his life, and he modeled what submission to you would look like. As he has submitted to us, so now we must submit to you, and that's why the path to you must acknowledge your authority. To come to you, they have to take that faith step towards you. They must acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior and bow the knee and ask for forgiveness of sins. And if that is you this morning, if you're right there, if you know that Jesus has been calling you, wooing you, drawing you to himself, then pray this prayer along with me. Lord Jesus, I sense that you're drawing me, wooing me into a saving relationship with you. I also sense my inner resistance to this. There is something in me, another voice, that is raising a serious, serious objection to all that I've just heard. 
But I know that it's just a smokescreen for my need to be in control and that it's playing off of my fear. I guess it's all the cards on the table time and time to come clean with you. I am in trouble. I can sense the weight of my sins against your holiness and I know that I have no leverage. If I stay here, if I stay on the outside, then I don't meet you as friend in eternity. I meet you as judge. And I do not like the odds of that. I here and now, in this moment, confess you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior of my soul. And I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. I yield the control of my life to you right now. All the cards on the table, no more hiding, no more cloaking. I submit to your authority and choose to be called by your name. I ask this in the saving name of Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. Amen. All right, thank you for joining. If you prayed that, either here this morning or online as you're watching, if that is true to your heart's circumstances as best you know, then please tell someone close to you that you prayed this morning. Um, we'd like to come alongside you. Up on the screen, you'll see uh, a couple emails that you can, one is the front desk, that'll get a hold of Margaret. One is my personal email, and um, you can just let me know that you prayed that prayer, and then we'll uh, get a hold of you and come alongside and, and take some further steps with you. All right, so John, getting back to the letter, he's writing this letter so that his, re his readers would have confidence, that they would have boldness, and he sets this up in his next thoughts. He says, and by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. Uh, James turned me on to a, a new commentary that I've just started to use. It's called the Story of God Bible Commentary. And it says that while it's good that forgiveness and purification of sins is available upon the confession of sin, it's better that believers avoid sinning in the first place. Amen? <laughs> right? You don't always have to be scraping off the street. Sometimes it's better not to sin. And John's saying, hey, you know what? A lot of you have walked for a long time. You've kind of learned this. I want to encourage you not to sin anymore. And that's a direct confrontation with his Gnostic counterparts because they said, hey, we just have to have the right knowledge. It really doesn't matter. If we have the right knowledge, it doesn't matter how we behave. And John's going, no, 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 that's not accurate. It totally matters how we behave. Uh, the Gnostics were trying to pull people out from the fellowship, that uh, the church that John was pastoring. John's saying we've come to know him, God, Jesus, if we keep his commandments. And the, the Gnostics didn't think that the moral code applied to them, that the carnal side of things had no connection. But here's what I think is that any of us who've tried to walk with Christ at any length of time know all too well that the things which we do with and in our body have a huge impact on our spirit, both negatively and positively. Right? You ever gone through a week and you've blown it? You, you were not tracking, you blown, and then you show up in church. How you doing? Fine. Uh, and you just hope to get through the service where nobody will come and talk to you and look you in the eye, right? Because you know you're dead. And you kind of get through going, whew, man, I made it. I, I got through. Nobody caught me. Right? And you, God, I got to clean this up. This is not good. 
Well, that's a great part of church. One of the things nobody ever talks about is the cleansing effect of the body gathering, gathering together. And that's what John is talking about here. So the question is, what does walking in the darkness or light look like? I've used this diagram before, but I want to use it again. Uh, but think of it this morning in terms of light and darkness, that these themes that John are using. So here's a continuum up on the screen. And uh, on the left, you will see all these terms. So on, on the left side, we have obey. And then on the right side, we have disobey, right? Contrast. On the left side, we have light. And on the right side, we have darkness. So you contrast that. Then we have life. And then you have death. And then you have uh, repentance. And then uh, hardness of heart. Right? When the Holy Spirit comes into our life, the Holy Spirit draws a line. Now, the Holy Spirit is not a line. But he draws a line. How do we know he draws lines? Because Jesus taught us when the disciples asked him to pray, said what? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our, it says debts in our modern translation, but the old translation was what? Forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who what? Trespass against us. So this idea of trespassing, trespassing is simply going where you're not supposed to go. Sign says, private property, don't trespass. And we say, well, I'm going to hop the fence, and I don't care who tells me I can't hop the fence. I don't care if my mom and dad, I don't care if it's my boss, I don't care if it's my pastor. I don't care if God himself tells me I can't hop the fence. I'm going to hop the fence. So when we come... When the Holy Spirit draws a line, what he's saying is on this, on the bottom side of the line, none of that no more. That's all off limits. Now, on the top side of the line, don't worry about all of that. We'll get to it. We'll, we'll get to that. But for right now, you're fine. Just keep walking in the light that you've got. Now, if I still want to grab something on the other side of the line, that's called sin, right? Missing the mark. I jump across the bottom side of the line. To get out of darkness, what do I have to do? I have to, what the Bible says is called repent. I have to literally agree with God that I'm on the wrong side of the line, and I have to literally walk over, and I have to come over here and stand back in the light. Now, when I do that, can I take that thing that I want to grab, stick it in my back pocket, and sashay across the line? Hey, Jesus, you and I, we're cool. We're tight, buddy, pal, right? Can we do that? No, why not? That's why the Holy Spirit drew that line and told you no more. Now, here's what God does. He's pretty smart. It's a relationship. Relationships grow. So later on, God backs up the line. And when he backs up the line, he usually moves it quite a bit. And usually, he moves it right past one or two things that I still want to hold on to that are sinful and that I know are sinful. He said, you know what? Enough of that now. We're done. Come on. Give that up. And he has very weird, very uh, real ways of waking you up to this. All right? And so, again, if I jump across that line, what's that called? Sin. It's the same process. In other words, the act of salvation is the same as the process of salvation. What's the act of salvation? Submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ and coming into his light. I move away from darkness. 
What's the process of sanctification? The process of sanctification is the same thing. I move away from darkness and I move towards light. I move towards light. And so uh, if I grab it again, now this is something different. Can I take that and put that in my back pocket and sashay across and say, Jesus, buddy, pal, we're tight. Will that work? Any of you tried that, by the way? Yeah, it's a bummer of a deal, isn't it? You can hide behind your mask, but I know what your eyes are telling me. <laughs> Darn you, Steve. <laughs> okay? But this is how it works. So that then sets up a couple things. So what do I have to do to get right? I have to do the exact same thing. I have to repent. I have to, again, agree with God that what he told me is right, and then I have to step away from that other thing as sin because he's already identified for me that it's sin. There's some things that happen as you step in the light. There's some qualities that take place in our lives that are really helpful. Uh, one of the first things that you come away with is the biblical word assurance. If I have assurance, it means I have confidence. I know that I'm right with the Lord. Somebody says, how are you doing with the Lord? I'm doing really good right now. Really? Yeah, I really, I know I am. I, I'm doing well. If I don't stay on the right side of the line, I'm going to be really insecure. Okay? By the way, as a nation, anxiety is blowing through the roof. People are freaking out on all kinds of levels. You know why? Because as a nation, we are no longer right with Jesus Christ, and we know it. Boom. I dropped the mic, but it would cost us money. That was good. Okay. We're full of anxiety. Why? Because we know we're out from under, and we know we're running our own stuff, and we know we're guilty, and we know we're going to get clobbered, but we don't want to come back under his authority. And so we have massive anxiety, massive insecurity. If I, on the other side of the line, under assurance, if I'm walking in the light, I have clarity. I can see. It's amazing. Many of you remember the instance when you did not know the Lord, and you came to know the Lord, and then you started reading the Bible. Some of you tried to read the Bible before you were saved, and it was like, wow, this is like oatmeal, chalk dust, like what's going on here? And then you came to know the Lord, and all of a sudden, pow, it turned up, and you went, this is so clear. How could nobody see this? How, what? And, and you want to tell everybody, like, have you, did you read that? What happened? You're walking in the light. And the light brought clarity. If you don't walk in the light, what you're going to have on the other side is everything's going to be muddy. You're going to be massively confused. Oh, I just don't know. I just, you're just going to be really messed up and not sure. If you're on the right side of the line and you're walking in the light, you're going to experience singleness of heart. You know whose you are and you know who you got to be loyal to. You know that what we talked about Jesus this morning is right and real and he's the source and you focus on him. If you don't, if you're walking in the darkness, if you're over on the other side, you're going to be double-minded. Book of James says you're going to be unstable in everything you do. Nothing will work out because you're of two minds. You've got one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom, and you're just going to get ripped apart. If you're on the other side of the line, if you're on the right side of the line, you're going to have holiness. Your life's going to start reflecting the God you believe in. If you're in the darkness, though, on the other hand, you're going to have carnality. Your, your life's going to be twisted up and caught with all kinds of sins that you should have never entered into, you should have never played with, you should have never participated in. Right? 
This is the picture that John's trying to lay out in terms of light or darkness. So here's the easy way to do this this morning because God speaks to us in different ways, uh, but his principles are universal. What lines has he drawn for you? What has he told you you can do? And what has he told you you can't do? Now, the Bible's a tremendous help in that because it tells you what his commandments are. But you can know in your spirit, too, from the Holy Spirit, hey, what am I not? Just say this morning, God, is there anything I'm doing I'm not supposed to be doing right now? It gets pretty clear, doesn't it? And you can even ask the opposite question, God, is there something I should be doing that I'm not doing right now? Right? Sins of commission, which are things I'm doing wrong, and then sins of omission, things I should be doing, but that I'm not. And God will tell you where you are, and he'll tell you to stay on the top side of the line. Now, this is a wonderful process, and all of us who are, uh, we like to, uh, those of us who are target people, right? We have to have objectives. Uh, we love this because we, yeah, 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 yeah. We get to their side, we go, boom, booyah, got it, nailed it, I'm done. And God goes, awesome, next level. <laughs> what? Next what? Next level. What level? The next level. Well, how many levels are there? Well, that's really not your business. Your business is just to follow me. I'll take you through the levels. Right. What you realize is, boy, there's a whole lot to the sanctification process I never counted on. I hope that is helpful and illustrates what John's talking about in terms of light and darkness. I want to use this diagram this morning then to close out this morning with a couple thoughts that would, would help. Here's why walking in the light is important. In 1 John 1, 7, John says, we walk in the light as he is in the light. So in other words, walking in the light is the right, it's the natural thing for a believer to do. In Galatians 5, 25, uh, it, if we walk in the light, it keeps us in step with the Holy Spirit. We're not racing ahead or dawdling behind. In Romans 12, 1, walking in the light transforms us by the renewing of our mind. In other words, as we read the word, the way we think changes, and it, it, it changes to how we see things, and, and so light transforms us by the way we think. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 7-11, it says our spirits and our countenances reflect the light of God. People see light. Uh, in Matthew uh, 6, Jesus takes us even further, 22 and 23, he says that your eyes will be full of light. He says, the eyes are the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are full of light, then there's light inside of you. But if your eyes are full of darkness, how great is the darkness inside? Have you ever looked at somebody's eyes and seen darkness? I have, many times. You ever looked in somebody's eyes and seen light? Wow. So this is a real deal. That's why in Matthew 5, 14, Jesus says we will be the light of the world. Why? Because we're walking in the light and not in darkness. So here's some conclusions off of that for this morning, depending on where you are. Firstly, if you've been walking in the light, then John is encouraging you to continue to do so. I would encourage you to continue to do so. Jesus would encourage you to continue to do so. The Holy Spirit would continue to encourage you to do so. If you've been walking in the gray, 
like we had up there this morning, if we're walking in the gray, realize the danger of that and move back to the light. If you went across the line and went and grabbed something, you're playing around in the gray and you know you shouldn't be, let go of it and go back towards the light. And if you're in the darkness this morning, you don't even know any of this and you're not even sure what I'm talking about, you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then the Bible says repent. Turn from your own stubborn way and come to him for help and he will free you from your sins. Ask God to move you into the light. God, take me where you know I, I need to go. These are practical things. I think they'll make sense to most of us. But let's practice walking in the light. Many of us have been doing that for years. Let's continue to practice it. If God has illuminated something this morning for you, then act on that this week. All right? Act on that this week. Let's close in prayer. Father, this is great stuff. This is great stuff. Good stuff. This is your stuff. Nobody comes up with this stuff by ourselves, Lord. This is, this is the stuff you created in your heart. This is walking in the light because you are light. You're the source of light. We, John has walked that out in incredible ways. Is anybody struggling this morning, Lord, with the gray or they're struggling with the black? I seek you for them. I ask that you would be merciful and kind like you were to me. And I pray that you would help them find their way back to the light. That they would walk again, come to you in obedience and surrender. Give up the things that are of death and embrace the things that are of light. Lord, help us who are uh, walking in the light not to buy into sneaky temptations. Things that are trying to lure us back to the gray, back towards darkness, back towards death. Lord, help us to be alert. Help us to respond well. And Lord, we seek you for that. May we be a radiant church. And we ask for this in your name. Amen.